0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. We are on the road this week. That's why you haven't heard from me much. We are in Incline Village, Nevada. I'm on a bit of a road trip. It's taken a couple days to relax, cleanse my brain, and be able to enjoy the crisp mountain air that is afforded to us during the middle of June. And, you know, I always used to come up here as a kid And I remember always walking by the casino here at the place that we always stay and ended up seeing nothing in the sports book and seeing no games to bet on and not being able to come back to the room at night and watch a baseball game because that was actually a part of what we would do around here as a family growing up. And it just somewhat put it into perspective for me, what we're dealing with, not only on the issue of the pandemic, but what baseball is dealing with. And before I get into the proposals and the counter proposals and all that, and basically everything that's happened over the last week since I last spoke to you on Sunday, when I basically titled that last episode, It All Blew Up. The reason why I said that it all blew up is that the players basically just said, we're done negotiating. Tell us when and where. Well... That wasn't entirely true because the players did come back to the negotiating table after Rob Manfred on Monday night. And granted, I was packing up and trying to get out of town, which is why I didn't put an episode out then. Rob Manfred goes on ESPN, and that audio got leaked a little bit earlier on Monday, saying he's not 100% confident that there's going to be baseball this season after just four days earlier on, I think more like five days earlier on the draft coverage, saying that there would be baseball this upcoming season. He said 100% there will be baseball this upcoming season. And for me, I am pretty upset at the fact that Rob Manfred has let it get to this point. Because let's go over the proposals as we now have them. As it's Friday morning, and you'll probably be hearing this episode probably around 10 o'clock Pacific Time. Maybe a little bit later uh, if Apple Pods decides to be wonky with me, which it has in the past. But anyways... The owners come back knowing that they have effectively started a PR disaster fire. I don't even know if that's a real term, but I'm just going to put it in that term right here. They've started a PR disaster fire. And the reason why is they understand that they are losing in the court of public opinion. And there's the old saying that perception is reality. And right now, whatever is right, whatever is wrong the perception of the public is good on the players because the players are not backing off what they negotiated for, and bad on the owners because they're effectively reneging on a deal that they agreed to on March 26th. Now, as we've looked at the last couple of proposals, and I think there are a couple of key things to put into account here. And this is really, as I started to think about it, where coronavirus really comes into play. And the reason why I say that is that With states, in my opinion, opening way too aggressively, you're seeing COVID-19 spikes in places like Arizona, Texas, Florida, places where you have Major League Baseball teams. You've got one in Arizona, you've got two in Texas, you've got two in Florida. You've got issues here in California, mainly in Southern California, less so in Northern California, but I could go on and on in terms of where things are spiking and where things are calmer but the point of this argument is is that we are not in a very good position as a country when it comes to COVID-19 and i think that now more than the purview of a month ago or even two weeks ago COVID-19 could seriously affect sports and i want to go to the perspective of the NBA and the NFL before i bring it back to baseball Kyrie Irving The point guard for the Brooklyn Nets expressed on a conference call with about 100 players last Friday that players are having deep concerns about going into a bubble for three and a half months. And really, it's only a bubble until something permeates it, which could be food delivery, could be hotel workers, airline pilots, what have you. You know, the hotel workers are not living on the property. They are living in their respective residences around the Orlando area. Because for those of you that don't follow, the NBA is trying to complete their season at Disney World in Orlando. So while they say it's a bubble for the players, it's not necessarily a complete bubble. And there's going to be frequent testing and whatnot. But you could end up in a scenario where if the cases in Florida continue to spike and Florida has been of grave concern because they have handled coronavirus as poorly as anywhere in the United States. I would put that up there with Arizona, whose cities wanted to implement mask orders, but their governor wouldn't let them, which, by the way, in my opinion, is incredibly malicious, but we're not going to go into that right now. But the NBA is having concerns. The players are having concerns about coronavirus. And then a couple of days ago, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading epidemiologist, comes out and says that based on what football is and the type of contact that you make in football, the size of the rosters and the travel and the locker rooms, that you may not be able to have football in 2020. So he says that about football. Football really has not made public any plans that they have. Because they've been trying to wait on the other three major sports. I didn't talk about hockey, and hockey's kind of taken a back seat at this point to baseball and basketball and football. But my bottom line is this a second wave of coronavirus is coming, and it may be here sooner than we think. Heck, this first wave may not even be done. I think a lot of people thought it was done. And now we're seeing all these spikes and places reopening too quickly have proven that we're not out of the woods by any stretch. And where that ties back into baseball is that the owners understand that they cannot start a season and not finish it for the purposes of generating revenue. And this is where we go into the owner's proposal. So the owners put a proposal out earlier this week. That was a 60-game season, expanded playoffs in 2020 and 2021, so that's taking the playoffs from 10 total teams to 16 total teams, so eight teams in each league, so over half of Major League Baseball. The players get their fully prorated salaries. So they basically up it from the 10 games that would have been implemented under this nuclear option that was put in the original agreement. But the players get their fully prorated salary. So we've finally gotten to the point where the owners have said, "Okay, we'll do it. But the key issue now is that the owners put in the stipulation that the players would not file a grievance, which they would certainly lose because a third party arbitrator would side with the players that the owners are participating in unfair labor practices per what the previous agreement was, and that the owners did not make the effort to play as many games as possible. Now, in the past, the television revenue from the playoffs all goes to the owners, and the owners share that revenue. The only money that the players end up getting from the playoffs are from gate receipts, a percentage of attendance. Now, assuming that there isn't going to be any fans in the stands for any Major League Baseball in 2020 if it is played, this looks like a bad deal for the players because there is no promise of any of that playoff TV revenue coming to them. So the players come back with a 70 game proposal at fully prorated salaries, which you think, okay, 10 more games, the owners can probably compromise and maybe get that down to 65. The players say that at 70 games under this agreement, they won't file a grievance. But here's the kicker. The players put into their proposal a splitting of the TV revenues for the playoffs Expanded playoffs for two years, but a split of those revenues. And here's why. Because the players understand that there aren't going to be fans in the stands. And the players know that if they're not going to be getting the money that they thought was promised to them when they signed their contracts, and granted, nobody could have foreseen a global health crisis affecting that, but the players are saying, we want a piece of the revenue pie from the playoffs. And the owners apparently quickly rejected that. So here's my biggest issue with where we're at at this point. The players are effectively making more concessions. You're running out of time to play a full 80-game season. The owners want more playoffs because more playoffs means more television revenue. The players want more games, which means their fully prorated salary is a higher amount but they also want to benefit from the TV revenue that comes from expanded playoffs. So you're getting at least one, maybe two extra rounds of the playoffs. Maybe you've got a play in round and a longer wildcard round, almost like they do in the NFL. And I don't think that they would necessarily bracket like they do in the NBA, because I'm not sure that they would really want a one versus eight scenario. But, you know, you're, devaluing the regular season if you're having a 60-game regular season and playoffs, and think about this, if you have a playoff scenario to where you've got four different rounds of playoffs and you've got a five-game, a five-game, a seven-game, and a seven-game series, that's 24 games of playoffs with a 60-game regular season, which means that your regular season is over 40% or close to 40%, I can't do the math right now in my head, but close to 40% of what your regular season was, you're devaluing the regular season if it's only 60 games. I think if you go to 70 games, you probably can say, okay, this is a special year, this is an unforeseen time, we can accept this. I don't think you can go below 60. And again, the issue is going to be the money. But where we're really stuck at at this point is that pesky coronavirus because the worst thing that you can have happen and where the owners would lose their you-know-whats is if we completed a regular season, started the playoffs, but did not finish them because COVID-19 got worse again and the owners don't end up getting any or barely a fraction of the playoff revenue that was promised to them. We don't know what the owner's specific financials are. We do know that one team in particular, the New York Mets, the Wilpon family, is actively trying to sell the club. So they're trying to drive the value of that team up tremendously. The Wilpons want to get out. You could make the argument. There are other teams that are potentially looking to sell as well. Tampa Bay Rays and Stu Sternberg may potentially look to sell that team as well because they've never been great financially. There are probably a couple others that you could name. I'm not necessarily sure where the market is on buying a baseball team during a global health crisis, which is seeing close to 40 million people unemployed, and we're going to get an unemployment rate over 20%, and the economy's tanking, and businesses are closing, and and all really depressing stuff. But if the owners can't get their fully guaranteed playoff television revenue, then they're not going to go for anything. Because if they agree to pay the players fully prorated salaries, they need to be able to generate revenue themselves. Now, again, it might be this argument of the millionaires versus the billionaires. And for those of you that have listened to this podcast, you know that I am fully on the players' side. But at some point, when you're talking about the value of Paying your employees, not just your baseball operations people, but the people that work in your marketing department, in your merchandising, in your social media department, in your media relations department, game day employees that you've promised to pay, when you have a company that you're paying probably close to 200 full-time employees and a ton of part-time and game day employees, That adds up. We've seen owners like Tom Ricketts of the Cubs come out and say that there's a misconception that owners hoard cash. Bill DeWitt of the St. Louis Cardinals, who came out and said that baseball as an industry isn't very profitable. Well, until we see your books, we have no idea whether to believe you or not. But we can only tell by the actions of owners who John Fisher of the Oakland A's reversed his position on minor leaguers and decided that they were going to pay all of them after he received some of the worst public backlash that you could potentially imagine. You've got other teams like the Washington Nationals who, while every other team said they were going to pay their players $400 a week for the rest of the season, the Nationals said we're going to pay them $300 a week and basically only reversed that position once Sean Doolittle and all the major leaguers said that they were going to cover the minor leaguers. And you've got a bunch of teams that have released upwards of 30 to 50 minor league players. And I'm not going to go into the specifics of that because we already did an episode on that. You can go back and listen to it. I did it with Logan Taylor, a former Mariners minor league infielder, one of my good friends, somebody that was very honest and forthright about all the issues facing minor league players that are not first and second round picks that have six and seven figure bonuses. But you've basically seen actions from the owners trying to save money. So I guess the hypothetical that you put out there is, is what do the owners do if they don't get the playoff revenue? How much worse could it get for people that work for these organizations? Do you eliminate some departments entirely? Do you cut it down to bare bones? Do you see owners trying to sell teams because they've lost money? I mean, you look at the way that ownership has changed in Major League Baseball, and I think that there has been a shift over time. Way back in the days, you had family ownership of baseball teams. You had the Wrigleys with the Cubs, the Bush family with the St. Louis Cardinals. A little bit later on, you had the Walter Haas family, and that was a profitable businessman, but that was a guy that ran his team like a family. You you had the Steinbrenners. That was even to an extent a family, even though George Steinbrenner somewhat ran that organization with an iron fist. Now you're seeing guys that are heads of corporations, like Tom Ricketts of the Cubs with TD Ameritrade, that see their organizations as line items. They don't see them as an institution of a community in which they serve. That's the problem. Is that owners are so concerned about finances, they don't understand the repercussions that could come to them if they don't play this season. Now, some owners, and there was a report out by Ken Rosenthal that basically don't want to play the season, and we've made this point before that they are going to lose less money if they don't play than if they play a season with no fans in the stands. But you're going to lose that argument in the court of public opinion, because if baseball doesn't play this year, it is going to do so much harm to the future of the sport. And when Rob Manfred went on that commissioner special on ESPN on Monday and said he's not 100% confident that there is going to be baseball this season, people were out there calling for his head And deservedly so, because as the man who is in charge of the entity of baseball in the United States, and to a smaller extent in Canada, you are supposed to be the steward of the game. You're supposed to be the one that delivers the game to the public. And you effectively have taken one side over the other. And... Whether you think that's right financially or not, Rob Manfred is not a dumb guy. Let's just make this clear. Rob Manfred is a very smart guy. But remember what Rob Manfred was before he was the commissioner of baseball. He was MLB's labor lawyer under Bud Selig. This is somebody that knows how to be the strong arm of the owners. And that's why he was put in this position. The commissioner is there for two purposes, to be a steward of the game and to work for the owners. And people forget that Faye Vincent was deposed by the owners in favor of Bud Selig in the early 90s because people, and by people I mean owners, thought that Faye Vincent was too much on the player's side. And so they dumped him for Bud Selig, who was going to do everything to keep money in the owner's pockets. And I think that it was very well-timed that ESPN's 30 for 30 of long gone summer came out last Sunday night and that baseball needed an epic home run race in order to get the game back from where it had been post 1994, where people were so turned off to the game that they didn't want to support baseball anymore, that you've got the Montreal Expos, Chicago White Sox, on a crash course for the World Series, and then you get a labor strike, and the owners don't buckle, and the World Series gets canceled. And by the way, it's funny you mentioned the White Sox, or that I mentioned the White Sox, because one of the owners that was strongly behind the labor stoppage was White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf, who effectively sabotaged his own team. Now, Reinsdorf, if I am correct, is one of only five owners that remain from that 1994 strike there's been a lot of ownership that has either been passed down from father to son or father to daughter or has turned over to a new family and I look at where baseball was post 1994 and then it took an epic event like a roided up home run race which nobody cared at the time and one of the things you know people have been really critical of the long-gone summer documentary, but I have really enjoyed the discourse surrounding it because it was a feel-good story. Even though the players may have, quote-unquote, cheated the game, it still was a feel-good story, and it got people interested in baseball again. You're not going to have something like that this time. And the biggest issue that you now face is that if you can't get baseball back on the field this year and you can't come to some form of agreement that you're going to have a labor stoppage after next season when you have to go back to the negotiating table for the next CBA starting in the 2022 season. December 1st, 2021, that's when you have to get back to the negotiating table. We don't know how much money the owners are slated to lose if they do don't have a playoffs. They need the expanded playoffs for the revenue in order to mitigate whatever losses they may have. They may lose money. They're going to lose money. That's a given. But as Andy Baggerly, the San Francisco Giants reporter for The Athletic put out there, he doesn't care about that. And a lot of reporters feel the same way. I'll paraphrase Bagley's tweet, but he's saying that you don't own a baseball team to run it and cut corners financially. You run it to be able to provide a service to the community and an entity that people can rally around. And that the fact that the owners aren't willing to accept losses for the future of the game is ridiculous. And that, I think, is the main point here. If the owners and the players can't agree... Both sides are going to end up being victimized. I think the owners a lot more than the players here because the owners have the money to be able to take a loss for this year. But the damage in the court of public opinion will last far beyond this season. And it will last on the players' union side into negotiations in 2022. And players may not even want to come to the negotiating table come December of 2021. The damage is going to be epic if they can't get on the field this year. But again, the coronavirus is going to play the biggest factor in all of this, because if it spikes and there have been reports that have come out that said that players have tested positive for COVID-19, you can't put yourself in a scenario where you start and have to shut it down. That's the biggest thing. To me, this is where the owners actually have a legitimate argument. If you are afraid that a second wave of COVID is going to shut everything down, then you have to act accordingly. You cannot start a season and be able to go far enough to the point where you say, okay, we're not going to be able to play anymore because an incomplete season is going to do damage financially More so than not playing at all. And that's where I somewhat understand it on the owner's side of things. But again, if the owners had been willing to go fully prorated salaries from the start and hadn't made such a squabble about this, there may have been a chance that we could be playing baseball at the end of June. I mean, we're basically 11 days from the end of the month at this point. Baseball had hoped at the end of May, to be on the field by July 4th. And there's no way that that's going to happen. And I think that Rob Manfred understands that he has made a misstep. He understands that his reputation is going up in flames and he's trying to do everything to save it. Whether what he's trying to do to mitigate this disaster is to grow the game or to save his own reputation, I would go more of the latter than the former. But Rob Manfred has also done a lot of other things that have painted a picture of him as not somebody that cares about growing the game, but as somebody that cares about growing the bottom line and the profit margin, which is what the owners put him there to do. But there's the old saying that you spend money to make money. You invest a lot to make a lot and you have to invest, whether it be financially or otherwise in the game in order to grow it. And with him willing to cut 42 minor league baseball teams, that is not growing the game. That is shrinking the game. That is telling every single person in one of those 42 communities that baseball doesn't care about you. So why do they have to care about baseball? Baseball is supported not just by the people that live in the cities and surrounding areas of the 30 major league cities, or rather it's fewer than that, but you get my point, the 30 major league teams, it's people that live in the minor league communities. It's people that live in a state like Montana where you can decide, am I going to be a Mariners fan? Am I going to be a Rockies fan? Am I going to be a Twins fan? It's people that live in states that don't have major league baseball that help support your bottom line because people will take road trips or ballpark trips to go around and support those teams. They'll shop for merchandise online. Those people are a part of your profit. You take those people away, it's a domino effect. Less people will support the game of baseball. Baseball can get back on the field this season if it is safe to do so. It's a shame that there hasn't been more progress to this point, But at the same time, you have to have an understanding that if the owners are going to agree to anything, the playoffs have to happen. How can you assure that that's going to happen? That's the biggest problem, which is why effectively you're going to end up seeing one of two things. Either the owners give in and end up going on the player's side and you see a playoffs that start and stop Or you see a short regular season and an expanded playoffs so that you can maximize the playoff revenue. But the players are not going to go for that unless they get a share of the TV revenue. I think that if the players understand the owners concerns about covid and the owners can give up some of the TV revenue to the players, if the players play fewer games If you can guarantee that a shorter season will allow you to play the playoffs in their entirety, the owners have to give the players a split of the TV playoff revenue in order to offset whatever money the players might lose by having a shorter season at fully prorated salaries. If they can make that compromise, if the owners can say, we will give up the TV revenue from the playoffs or part of it so that you feel like you are compensated more fully than you would have been under a regular season. I think the union might go for it. How this plays out, who gives in ultimately first is going to be fascinating, but the union is going to stand stronger than they ever have before in these negotiations. And it is my belief that the owners are going to have to face the question of making more concessions or just punting on the season entirely. And that we will find out, in my opinion over the course of the next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California, albeit on the road here in Incline Village, Nevada. We will next be coming to you from Idaho Falls, Idaho, on Monday as my road trip continues. For everybody associated with this production, make sure that you listen back to all of our other episodes, write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. It helps our metrics tremendously. Have a great weekend, everybody. We will catch you Monday morning.